Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 160 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 23rd of July 2017, entitled Two Eternal Abodes, Heaven and Hell, Part 6. And the Bible reading is taken from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to open your Bibles for our scripture reading this morning to the very last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 21. I invite you to stand with us this morning in honor of the reading of God's precious, perfect, and holy word from Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto you him that is a thir- I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. May the Lord richly add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Well, if you have been with us, this is the sixth in our series on two eternal abodes, heaven and hell. And here in these eight verses which we have read, we see a bit of the description of both of these places. We see some description which we'll be looking at more in just a few moments of that place called heaven. And we also see another place being described here in verse 8 for those that are not in heaven Now, may I remind you this morning, I've already said this during the adult Bible study, and I've said it from this pulpit many times, we're not talking about your reward or your punishment here. We're talking about where you will abide for all of eternity. There's only one thing that will decide which of those places you're going to be abiding, whether you're alive or whether you're dead. You see, it really is a matter of life and death. And all life is going to be in one place and all death is going to be in the other. And we're trying to get a picture of just what it is that is awaiting us in one way or the other when we leave this world. We've begun, first of all, looking at this place called heaven. Now, we said, first of all, that heaven is a place. 
we have heavenly this and heavenly that. It's used as an adjective many times, speaking of something that's wonderful, that's great, that we just want that, that perfection to be described. It might be ice cream or cake or anything that's heavenly. Heaven is not an adjective, it's a noun. It is a literal place. And we've looked and we've seen that it is a place where God the Father abides right now and where His throne is and where He sits upon that throne. And it is the place where Jesus Christ the Son abides right now at the right hand of the Father. We've seen that it's the location of every saint's, every true believer's reservation to join Him there one day. Heaven is a place. It is a prepared place. It has been prepared by the hands of God. A place, he says, prepared for them that love him. A place prepared for you when Jesus himself, when departing to those that would follow him, he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there ye may be also. He wants you to be with him. That's where he's at now. It is a prepared place. We looked at a number of things concerning that, but then we said, well, when we begin to look, what makes heaven different? Why is it a place of perfection? It's because there's no sin. You see, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. You can't go there like you are. I don't care how beautiful you are. I don't care how intelligent you are. That little thing called sin will keep you out. But he tells us that our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I'm glad he's doing it. But you see, God is preparing our citizenship in heaven is certain, it's there now. If you're a child of God, your citizenship is there. I have a blue passport that shows that I am a citizen of the United States of America, even though I'm not there today. Obviously, I'm here in Birmingham, England, but I'm still a citizen there. You haven't arrived there yet, but your place is prepared for you there, and you're already a citizen if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking for Him. You see, your citizenship is certain, but Christ is coming. Christ is coming to take you to where your citizenship is. He's going to come and literally escort you there Himself. He's going to take you there. And we looked at all of these different things, but when He comes, you see, He's prepared the place for you, that sinless place, that perfect place, but He's got to prepare you to take you there. You're going to be changed. There'll be no more sin. We're going to be looking at some of these things in just a moment as we continue to look at this place called heaven. But remember, it is a place, a prepared place where God himself dwells, where the Son of God dwells, where your reservation is made for a prepared people. I hope that you're one of those prepared people today. If not, you can make your reservation today before you leave here. If you want to, we find that we said if we really put all that together, we could define heaven as a perfectly prepared place for a perfectly prepared people. It's like nothing 
we've, we've talked about this, that the Bible tells us it's like nothing that we've ever seen or heard. How can we describe it? But we saw something else about heaven. It is a present promise. It's not something that's maybe out there a million years from now or something. It's a present promise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you leave this body, you're there. You're with Him. Now, we'll pull a lot of these things together. And, you know, I prayed about this and I was debating because last week I was trying to rush because I was wanting to get to the end of this before that we left to go away. But, you know, I figured something out this week. When I get back in November, heaven's still going to be there. And you know what? I'll either be here with you and we can carry on looking at it or be there and I won't need to try to figure out how to describe it anymore. Folks, heaven is a present a present promise for you. When you leave this body as a child of God, your spirit, your soul, we know, we looked at that, the body goes back, that body's got to be prepared, that's what's going to be changed. But because the body hasn't been changed, because that complete change is going to take place at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, right now you have the promise that when you leave this body, when it goes back to the grave, you go to heaven to be with Him, So one day you'll be reunited. But... When you're reunited the next time, that body's going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You're going to have a body just like his. But we began looking last week, and I want to just give you a few more thoughts here this morning. And we will pick up when I come back, God willing. But you see, heaven is a promising portrait. You know, we look at beautiful portraits sometimes. Have you ever, have you ever looked at a place that was so beautiful, the artist had done such a phenomenal job that you just, man, I want to go there. I want to see that place in person. Some places just take your breath away, the beauty of them. You see, I can still remember the first time that I walked up to the edge of, of, of Niagara Falls. And I looked over, and it's, it's like I can't explain that feeling. I've been back there a number of times since. But that first time of seeing it, it was just, it was so awesome that words couldn't describe it. I remember the first time that I walked up to the, to the, to the rim of the Grand Canyon, and I, and I remember coming up the, the path, it coming up over the rim, and it, and it began to come into view beyond the trees. And honestly, it looked more like a portrait than something that's real. It was just so, so spectacular. It was something that was, you know, just, I couldn't have described it in words. Well, see, that's what I want you to understand is we can never fully paint a perfect portrait of heaven. But it is a promising portrait like no, no. It's a portrait that when you begin to really see it and you see its beauty and you see what it's all about, it should raise an eagerness within you like nothing else. Say, hey, I want to go there. I want to see it myself. I've seen pictures of a lot of beautiful things, and some of them I've got to go see personally, but some of those things just create that desire in your heart. And you see, as we began to look last week, we first of all looked in Hebrews chapter 12, and we saw some things there that as the Bible began to describe this place, and of course it was really about the people that are there. You see, See, sometimes it's the people, sometimes it's the place itself that makes it so attractive. Well, with heaven, it's both, praise God. It's both. I mean, we saw there that it was the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
being in the presence of the God of this universe. It was this innumerable company of angels that you've never, well, you probably have seen an angel, but not in its true holy form. The Bible says we entertain angels unaware when God sends them amongst us, but we saw here being described as just innumerable. It's impossible to number this company of angels that is there in heaven. We saw the true church of Jesus Christ together in one place. You see, down here, we're all split up. We're all over the world in all these different places. You belong to him, but wow, there, you're going to be in the presence of every true believer of all time that has put their faith there. And you know what? We won't be the same imperfect people. You look at our church down here, you don't have to look long. You'll find that we are a very, 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 very imperfect people that love God, that love each other, that want to get on with the business of the Lord. But you see, when we get to heaven, you're going to see a perfected people. You're going to see, I don't know whether you go there now spiritually, I promise you, that all of those that are there now spiritually, if you go by the way of the grave, they don't have their old sinful bodies to contend with anymore. They're righteous in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you're still living and the trumpet sounds and you're out of here, you're going to be changed. And everybody that you see there, they're all going to be in their perfected bodies. They're perfect bodies. We're going to see God sitting on his throne. The Bible says the judge of all. And Jesus Christ right there, you see, hard to get these pictures, but I mean, God is making that judgment. But you've got the greatest mediator, the greatest solicitor, <laughs> the greatest one of all that is there on your behalf. He's the one that's pleaded your case before God. You're going to be there. Here's going to be God on the throne and Jesus Christ, the very one that has pleaded your case that's allowed you to be there because if Jesus hadn't pleaded your case, you wouldn't be there at all. You wouldn't be seeing it. And then we talked about, the Bible showed us there, that there before that throne, we're going to see the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> the blood that was sacrificed for my sins and for your sins. The sacrifice, the one that loved so much that he was willing to shed his blood give you life. So the first thing that we see in this portrait is I want you to grasp and understand that uh, see, God's going to be there. God in all of his fullness, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the angels are going to be there. All of the church, all of God's family, all the body in their perfected bodies, that means praise God. <laughs> it might be your mom or your dad. Hey, I look forward to rejoicing with my dad in heaven again one day. <laughs> It might be your brother, your sister. might even be your child. But when we get there, we're going to all be there and in a perfect state. <laughs> they may have had a body that was sick, that was pain, that was hurting when they left down here, but no more over there. <laughs> They're going to be a perfected people. That's what you've got to look forward to. You see, your eye has never seen a perfect being before. Your eye's never seen God before. Your eyes never seen an angel in his wholeness before. Your eyes haven't seen what you're going to see. And though it's been applied to your heart, I hope, you've never seen the blood of the Lamb, but you will that day. But you see, 
when we look back here in chapter 21, the Bible tells us a lot of things, and this is, this is all I want to give to you today. We're going to come back to it, and, and, and I mean, you know, it's, it's not as confusing as sometimes we make it. <laughs> but as we look down through here, and I told you, it's probably nobody ever taught me how to do a sermon with making two columns, and, but that's where my notes get to here is I got these two columns, what we are going to have and what we're not going to have in glory. Amen. <laughs> And that's kind of the way that God uses it to describe it here in these verses because, you see, he said in verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth where the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. You see, we will come back to that to understand what this, what's this all about. A heaven, the third heaven we said that we're talking about, but a new heaven and a new earth. But I want you to grasp that this is one of the things that we're going to grasp here, that there is going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth. When we think of Jerusalem down here and we think of the holy city and we, for most of his life, it's been a place of battles, fighting, bloodshed. Who wants this spot? Who wants that spot? Ah, John saw the holy city, new Jerusalem. New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride for her husband. I'll guarantee you. Now, you ladies may not realize and understand that your husband, your groom, that guy that sat there that said, I do, he could probably still remember that day that he first laid eyes on you when you came down that aisle. It's like you're speechless. How do you describe it? You know, it's a reason why that people look at it to be the most beautiful day in their lives. All these different things. The Bible says that there, that this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, but notice what it says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. <laughs> the most beautiful sight. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You're a child of God. You're the bride of Christ. <laughs> the bride of Christ, adorned for her husband, Jesus Christ himself, the groom. The new Jerusalem, prepared in a beauty that's the most beautiful thing that we can see in this life. He goes on verse 3 and he says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. The tabernacle of God dwelling with us. There's always, we've never dwelt in the tabernacle of God. They had this symbol in the Old Testament. They had the tabernacle that was built there where that the priest could go in and could meet with God. It was symbolic. It was like the place of God in heaven. But this is going to be the tabernacle of God dwelling with you and I. God's dwelling place dwelling with you and I. But then I have to jump over to the other column. We sing about some of this while ago. There's some things that are not going to be in heaven. He says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There's a lot of things I could say there, but this, this is the point in time. I don't know what tears may be shed up to this time. I can't imagine what that it would be like to be there because this is after the judgment has taken place. This is when there's a new heaven and a new earth, when everybody's already been before the great white throne of judgment. But you see, 
there's going to be some sad things when it's your loved ones that aren't going with you. <laughs> there's going to be some heartbreak there. But when we get to this point, somehow God's going to wipe away all of that, all of that pain. He says, no tears. He's going to wipe away every tear from your eye. He says, there shall be no more, no more death. You see, death, for most of us, the pain is not when we die. If you know the Lord, you don't fear death. It's something that you'll just, you have that grace just to slip into if you know what's waiting for you. But boy, it sure is painful when it's the death of those we love, those we care for, those that we're losing in this life. But you'll never have to lose anybody again because there won't be any death there because there is no sin there and death is the consequence of sin. It can't be a perfect place except the sin is done away with. Neither sorrow, no sorrow, no crying, no pain, he says, for the former things are passed away. All of those things, directly or indirectly, were a result of sin. It's gone. And all those things are gone with it. Verse 5, he says, and he said that, that set upon them, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. There's not going to be anything left of this sin-cursed world that we live in. Nothing old. It's just being painted over or cleaned up or remodeled. It's just like you when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ truly. If, if you're just being remodeled, if you're just getting a fresh coat of paint, then you didn't get what you really needed because you need to be made new. You need to be a new creation, the Bible says. Well, this day, everything. Just as you become a new creation in God when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, everything that sin is touched, it's all gone. He says in verse 6 and 7, Then he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. The promise of life, of inheritance, of all things, including a sonship, <laughs> being part of God's family, being right there with him. He goes on, and of course in verse 8, we find that there's the first, the first things not there, where no tears, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. But here is some people that are not going to be there. He says, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You can't be into heaven if you're one of those. And the only way you can't be one of those is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 9, he says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. We saw this back in Hebrews. The church, the true church, 
the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going to be there in glory. And 10, we see again, he says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. He said in verse 1 that it was coming down. He's saying here that literally he's being taken, he's being shown to where he can physically, visibly see the city of God coming down out of heaven. He says in verse 11, having the glory of God in her light was likened to a, a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The new Jerusalem coming down with, with the glory of God shining in such a way. That light shining brightly, says here, like a, a jasper stone, clear as crystal. It's not imitation light. It's not some man-made light. It's not even the light of the, of the sun and the moon and the stars. It is the light of the glory of God himself that is lighting this city, that is bringing the brightness that is there. He tells us, and it had a wall great and high and had 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. A wall with 12 gates, three on each side. Somebody asked me one time, why does it have gates in it? I don't know. God didn't tell us. <laughs> why does it have gates there? If everybody's in, that's going to be, and everybody's out, that's going to be out. There's 12 gates that are there on the city. But, of course, we find that those gates aren't closed later on, but those gates are there. And he tells us here that there's an angel at each one, and there's a name over each gate. And the names of those gates are one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel written above there. Israel herself, those 12 tribes. But look, look in verse 14. He said, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Praise God, the Old Testament, <laughs> the nation of Israel, those 12 tribes, their names are over each and every one of those gates there. But it's, the city's built upon 12 foundations. And in those 12 foundations, the names of each and every one of the apostles, the foundation of that city is the same foundation that he says is the foundation of the church that you and I are part of today, with Jesus Christ being that chief cornerstone. The city of God, <laughs> built upon the foundation of the apostles, the foundation of the church. He goes on, he says, And he that talked with me had a, a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angels. Somebody says, How big is heaven? I don't know how big heaven is, but I know how big the capital city of heaven is. <laughs> and if you stay and work this out, 12,000 furlongs in our language today is like 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles in every direction, 1,500 miles tall. That's just a city, the new Jerusalem, covering 1,500 miles. That's a long, long way, folks. 
That's like, you know, people talk about my home country, the United States of America, being a big place. Yeah, that's like that's like two-thirds, three-fourths of the way across that whole country, one city in every direction. The New Jerusalem, the wall, 144 cubits, that's like 216 feet tall. Maybe Trump can get some instructions from it. He's wanting to build a wall, right? <laughs> Why know the wall around heaven? Somebody said, why has it got a wall? Well, we'll ask God one day. Maybe it's just, just to set off this beautiful city like no other city that's ever been, a perfect city. And whatever else he's got in store for us. The building of the wall, it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass, walls of jasper. Jasper. City built of pure gold. I mean, those things, there's just nothing in heaven to us. People kill for them and die for them and do all kinds of things for them. He says, The foundation of the wall of the city are garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, and the twelfth an amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold as it were, transparent glass. The foundations garnished with the most precious, expensive stones that we can imagine. Gates made of just solid pearls. Streets of pure gold is so pure that it's transparent like glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple thereof. We saw that glory coming, shining out as the city was coming down out of heaven. And as we take a closer look, it tells us that God the Father and Jesus, they are the temple. There's no more man-made temples. There's no need for the structures because they themselves are the temple. Verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. The glory of God, the light of Jesus Christ and their brightness. That's all that's needed to light this glorious city. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. All the nations of the saved, redeemed, have, out of every nation. How many nations are represented here this morning? A lot redeemed out of every one of our nations, redeemed out of all the nations of the earth. No more divisions, no more boundaries, no more borders to worry about protecting. Walking by the light, with the glory shining about. And the gates of it, see here, shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Normally it's night when you lock things up, you close things up, you, you put it out because that's when the thieves come and all those, but there, there is no night. <laughs> because the light's always there because he's the light. And the, the gates are never shut. The doors are never shut. There's no night to be a part of it. We find that he goes on and he says, they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it Anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's 
book of life. You see, nothing, nothing that can defile, nothing that can break abomination, no lie, nothing but truth. There's nothing that can take away from the perfectness of what God has prepared there. And the only ones there are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm telling you today, that's the only reservation that you need. We want to make reservations to see things that are important to us down here. This is one reservation you don't want to miss. There's only one reservation book, the Lamb's book of life. That's where you want your name to be written. He says in 22 verse 1, And he showed me, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. A river of water of life. <laughs> Man's always searched for the fountain of life down here. i got news for you. <laughs> There's only one place the fountain of water of life comes. That's from the throne of God. <laughs> but there in heaven, you don't have to look for it. It's like a river flowing from the throne of God, flowing down. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were of the healing of the nations. You see, there was a time in the garden, remember, when everything was there for man, the tree of life included. But when man took of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he was then barred. He was put out of the garden, lest he would take of the tree of life. Once the sin is dealt with, we're going to be right there again with the river of life and the tree of life. A different fruit for each month, it says, that it's bearing there in the city of God. He says, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. That one statement, I could never ever, ever, begin to truly give you the picture of no more curse. Everything, everything in this world is cursed because of sin. And yet we're going to get to heaven. There will be no more curse. That curse that came as a result, God and Jesus on their throne being served by those around them. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their forehead. We're going to see the face of God, which you can never look on without your glorified state. God's name in our foreheads. Showing that personal possession. You're going to see God face to face, and you're going to know that you belong to him. You know, down here, a lot of times, that's the thing. We want to belong to somebody because we love somebody, and we want to be part, and we want to belong forever and ever. That's why husbands and wives make those vows and all those things. But I'm saying here in heaven, the curse is going to be gone, and you're going to see, you're going to see God face to face, and you're going to be his possession. You're going to belong to him. Nobody can separate you from him. Nobody can break that bond what he's done for you. There shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. No need of any other light apart from God himself. Nothing else. Heaven's citizens reigning with God. You see, we'll, people say, well, what are we going to do in heaven? I don't know. I plan on enjoying myself, though. 
I don't know what all we're going to do. We'll get a few, a few glimpses of a few things, but apparently here, I mean, you know, we know that on the one hand that we'll be eager to serve God and to serve our Savior. On the other hand, we're reigning. So we're going to be doing all kinds of things. But I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that as you look at this promising portrait, you see it's a glorious portrait. We've never seen, we could never describe it. But what I want you to grasp and, and understand is that this is just a glimpse. It can never show you all of his beauty. But it should be the most promising portrait that you ever looked at. You've never seen anything that beautiful. Nothing like that. Nothing to compare with the beauty that we're going to see there. You see, there's only one way you can make your reservation. And I'm here today to declare to you, God loves you and he wants you there with him. He wants you in that place. It's not some kind of a mind game. He's not trying to play tricks on you. He wants you there with him forever. He wants all those bad things. You may still have to go through some tough days down here until you leave because you're still in a sin-cursed world, in a sin-cursed body. There's plenty of sinners around. We just want them saved by the glory and the grace of God. But today, if you don't know your reservation's made, and you can make it today. And you see, that's what we want to invite you and give you an invitation to come and do. That's what Brother Andrew did. He's going to go right now and he's going to put on some other clothes so that, uh, so that we can get him wet up here while he goes to change. I want to tell you something. A lot of times we want to identify ourselves with all kinds of things. And there's all kinds of ways that we identify ourselves, some consciously, some subconsciously. Sometimes it's bold and it's plain. You know, we can carry around a placard, I'm this or I'm that. We can tell the whole world in all kinds of ways. Sometimes it's subtle. We can identify ourselves by the way we dress, the places we go, the things we do. There's all kinds of things that identify us. Brother Andrew's coming today because he wants to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to share a couple of things because there's all kind of things out there about baptism. And, you know, what is baptism really all about? Well, in Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 2, the Bible says, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, reading my notes wrong. I knew that wasn't right. Verse 2, buried with him, buried with him, buried with Jesus Christ in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. You'll hear me speak some words as Brother Andrew goes down into the water. You see, what he's doing here today is an identification with the Lord Jesus Christ identifying with Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. If you look back just a few pages in your Bible to the book of Romans, chapter 6, notice that the Bible says there, beginning in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. The meaning of baptism. Brother Andrew will not become a Christian because he gets baptized today. He won't even become more of a Christian because he gets baptized today. He's getting baptized today because he is a Christian. It is him identifying that he realizes that his only hope is that he died with Jesus Christ, that he rose with Jesus Christ, and this is symbolizing that. As he goes down into the water, buried with Jesus Christ in the likeness of his death, and as he comes back up, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, the newness of life. You see, there are some that don't think that we need to get all wet in order to do this. They prefer to maybe pour a bucket of water over your head or sprinkle some water or whatever. And, you know, folks, that's between them and God. We say to be a part of this church. If you want to be a member of Bethel Free Baptist Church, you have to be born again, first of all. And secondly, you have to be baptized in believer's baptism. We find that I could turn to all these passages, but when Jesus was baptized by John, the Bible says they came up out of the water. They had to be down in the water in order to come up out of the water, didn't they? When Philip baptized the eunuch there in, in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says there was much water there. What hinders me from being baptized? There's much water here. What keeps me from being baptized? They needed a lot of water. And then in that same verse, they went down into the water. Every example we find in Scripture, there was a lot of water. They were going down into the water. They were coming up out of the water. So why should we do it differently? We find that even the word baptize, you know, there was no word. We didn't have an English word. It's one of those transliterated words that they brought over. It means to dip, to plunge, to submerge, to immerse. That's what the word meant. It didn't mean just to get wet. It didn't mean just to get sprinkled. It didn't mean just to go through some ceremony. It meant to be immersed. Why? What's the motive behind it? Why is Andrew getting baptized today? Well, first of all, because it's God's command. You see, if you're a believer and you're not baptized, I'm not trying to be mean. You can only not be a baptized believer if you're disobedient to God. He's the one that commands that you do it. Matter of fact, when he gave us the command to go out, notice what he said in Matthew chapter 28, which is what we call one of the places where that the great commission was given to, to us as, as, as his church here. In Matthew chapter 28, Verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You give them the gospel, you baptize them, you teach them everything in God's Word. You see, you do it because you want to be obedient to His command. John chapter 14, 15. Folks, I'm not trying to be mean. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't say you love me and then just disobey me. Don't say you love me and then not do what I've asked. If you love me, keep my commandments. 